Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live! Aye. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Siblings Podcast, the podcast where two brothers have an in-depth discussion about film. I'm Ian. And I'm James. And today we are talking about one of my personal favorite movies of all time, 1995's Braveheart. Mel Gibson stars and directs in this film. James, what do you think? Well, I mean, as children of Scottish heritage, and uh, that's always been a big part of our life, I think Braveheart's pretty focal and... uh, it's, it's always been pretty big in the Scottish community and had a lot to do with um, the resurgence of people seeking out their heritage and things like that uh, in the mid-90s. So, yeah. Between yeah. this and, and Rob Roy starring Liam Neeson, like I think that was 1997, it was a really big time for uh, films featuring Scots. And tourism went way up after this film was released. It's and, true. you know, there's lots of conversation on this film being historically accurate but because it's not it's not i mean it's a it's a legend epic a legend epic you know um but it's not like the scottish people living in scotland didn't like this movie they did they liked it a lot they even had william wallace day you know afterwards uh yeah i mean i think that the scots like i mean i think it's not just scottish uh people it's it's people of countries that um don't always get to be in the forefront. They love their heroes. They love when they get uh, attention from the, you know, in the mainstream media, so to speak. Uh, and the thing about this film, though, is it does a lot uh, in in for Scott's nationalism. But there's a lot of it that we're going to talk a bit about the history um, that actually does some disservice to. Scottish heroes, namely Robert the Bruce. Yeah, well, he's gotten a few movies about him in recent times. Uh, actually, the actor who plays uh, Robert the Bruce in this film, Angus McFadden, actually goes on to do a so-called unofficial sequel about Robert the Bruce. Now, it's not well-received at all, so that 
tells you something. And then Chris Pine stars as Robert the Bruce in uh, Outlaw King on Netflix. I think Outlaw King is a much fairer tale of, uh, historically speaking, at least. Right. But I think this movie at the end, you know, at the end, it finally does Robert the Bruce justice. He, he's played as the reluctant king, the reluctant hero in this film, at least, in Braveheart, who his his nickname in actual lore and actual history is Braveheart. Right, because he sent, after his death, uh, because he never did get to go on crusade, he sent his heart in a small casket um, with uh, James Douglas now, uh, so to, to go on crusade and actually only made it as far as, um, as Spain, but did, did at least uh, supposedly see battle against, I believe, the Moors. Well, um, he's almost like in this film, he's almost a, an Aragorn type who doesn't want it. He doesn't want to be king and he, he doesn't until the end, you know? Right. And that, and again, that's the film Aragorn too. Cause in the, in the, the story, the actual book of Lord of the Rings, that's, that's a not portrayed thing, but it, 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 it works well in film. It and works that's why better in movies. The drama's played up and everything. Else. And I think that's also due in part for the intended audience being Americans. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the things that the film, it, the film portrayal of all these characters, of William Wallace, of Robert the Bruce, of all of these, it is primarily meant to resonate with an American audience. I mean, it's a big Hollywood film from the mid-90s, so that's not a surprise. And it did resonate with an American audience, as well as the Film Academy. It won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, uh, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Effects and Sound Effects Editing, and Best Makeup. So that's five, right? Five Academy Awards. That's huge for a film. Best Makeup is that all the Is blood? it the, the blue war paint? <laughs> oh, blue war paint. That was the woad, which is a, it was a Pictish thing. But yeah, well, I guess we'll get into that when we talk about the Battle of Sterling. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Battle of Sterling Bridge for you history well, nerds. Right, right. Which I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. Womp womp. So, James, give us a quick synopsis on the movie. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, it's a three-hour movie, so a quick synopsis is pretty is pretty tough. Yeah, we but, don't want to go, as opposed to the last two we, we recorded, we don't want to do a play-by-play -play for this one. We want to just give a quick synopsis and talk about it in... Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to assume that you have watched the film or at least remember the film, and when we talk about certain scenes, you'll... You, your your memory would be piqued by that. Um, but we have William Wallace as a child uh, starting the film. Um, but really, we get a... Oh, the, and the score. The score, the opening score is so good. Even oh, though there was no bagpipes back then. But Well, and actually, it's um, the main pipes? thing, it's played on Ilian pipes, which, is, which are Irish pipes. And they actually have a lot more keys. So imagine bagpipes instead of like a simple, like a almost recorder-like chanter right um where there are no keys or any like metal bits on it it looks a lot more like a very small clarinet or oboe um so it can play those um what we might refer to in the music world as you know your accidentals and your sharps and flats without doing half whole covers and things like that um but absolutely very beautiful and also um much easier to play with an orchestra hmm. uh because right. great highland bagpipes which aren't really invented yet in the film um though they're they're seen um, 
and talked about outlawed pipes but right. pipes weren't outlawed till way later like the 1700s right. there's a lot there's a lot of anachronisms in that but um they they do speak to scottish nationalism um so it kind of goes with the theme of the film but the um so these are uh it really works well um and, and captures a, a more celtic theme and some of the things we see in the film um actually speak to some kind of countenance of uh what we sometimes refer to as pan-celticism you know where the irish and the scottish and the welsh and right. the, and you know the manx and the bretons and all the, all those folks are kind of lumped in together as being one people in, in basically in a culture of oh we all hate the english and that's kind of what this film uh portrays and i think that's one reason why it kind of resonates with american audiences is because well hey you know like our you know national heroes like um george washington i mean what why do we love him so much because he beat the english right um, right so it's it's got that same kind of feel to it um and robert the bruce opens opens with his opening speech you know right. he opens the film and immediately it, it sounds like it's a it's almost told as a legend or a fantasy or fantastical retelling of uh, of this story and he does like He's, an anti-English propaganda. Oh, piece. It's, it's totally. And, and the idea is, is basically saying the English have, you know, the, the corner of the retelling of history and it's right. in their favor. Correct. And, Even though they did some really, I mean, how many countries did they conquer, invade? And well, I mean, the Scots actually played a great part in that being sure. part of the British empire. And the Scots were actually some of the most feared regiments in that. So, I mean, there is that, that aspect of, of um, the Scots eventually becoming part of this uh, imperial machine, but that's not really where we are in, in English history, nor in Scottish history. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we have this, we already know that the, the history is, is off a little bit and it's, it's really simplified. Um, you know, the Scottish King is dead. Well, that did happen. Alexander the third falls from his horse and he dies. But, uh, I believe it was his daughter, um, Margaret, the maid of Norway, like, but she's a child at the time and she is coming back from Norway and falls ill. And then, so she's actually going to be the heir. We don't learn about any of this. Um, but then we have, she dies and we get this real problem of who is going to be king and it comes out between um john balliol who actually becomes king but he kind of becomes a puppet king under edward um who, he's later imprisoned and then he, he's stripped of his his insignia which is why he gets tomb tabard empty cloak um he, right. and this is by edward the first or edward longshanks yeah um so who is he renounces the king though Balliol. he well he he does abdicate and, um and, and the other but the other primary claimant uh in rivalry with uh john Balliol was robert the bruce not the father portrayed in not, not senior portrayed in this film nor the son but the grandfather of um our primary robert the bruce mm. um who will eventually become king so and robert the bruce we're related to him aren't we descendants maybe uh it's one of those things of it's potentially it's it's the idea of was william brewster married to mary wentworth or mary love and it's kind of one of those things that we don't really fully know um because she probably had some sort of descendancy there but the further back you go uh the more you do genealogy the further back you go the realize well a 
a lot of people are actually related to this one very famous person who happened to have a lot of children. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things of not absolute direct lineage, but at least uh, so through some semblance of genealogical work, it's a potentiality. There we go. Um, so, right. So anyway, we get this opening speech of Robert the Bruce kind of laying laying the setting for us. And immediately we know that the king is dead and uh, Edward the First, Edward Longshanks of England is kind of, he's our villain. He has kind of claimed control over and, Scotland. And he's very well demonized as is all his, uh, his lords and knights and whatnot in the film. Right. They're, they're, they're despicable. Right. And the, the, the thing about this film is, is there's no real question about um, who is the good guy, who is the bad guy. And part of that is I really don't always like that in historical films myself, but you want to like both of them being sort of morally gray. Well, I think that in reality and, and you know, it's, and that's one of the, it takes a very Tolkien-esque view is in that it's, it's very easy to say, well, you know, the orcs are bad and, uh, Sauron is evil. He's he is a like a fallen demigod. Like he's evil. There's right. no problem. We're not actually questioning whether or not these these guys we're killing are bad guys. And in reality, and in history, people are always very complicated. Rulers are always very complicated. They're often forced into doing things that, are, are particularly people in the medieval period. Mm -hmm. um, and when we look back on them, they are always pretty complex. But given um, this idea of what they have to do and the kind of culture that they live in, I mean, they can't be this pacifistic um, sort of, of group. And, and really, uh, we kind of pretend that our leaders are now. But if we look at all the military decisions they have to make, uh, we would realize that fighting and killing is actually part and parcel of uh, the things that that go with leadership yeah and it's it's very it's a big deal and i think edward the first he's in this film he is he doesn't have any gray area he's got none no oh, um, terrible right it, it's not edward longshanks it's edward blackheart like it's just like he's this horrible evil character and but he's we, actually very complex but we need that because this is people killing people it's not like you're killing faceless stormtroopers or grotesque orcs you're killing there i mean this is a, a fantastic you know not a fantastical but it's a war film oh absolutely and you're killing people you need somebody to not like almost somebody so evil that you're like okay with it it's like in world war ii films you you're killing the nazis and that any in, in Indiana Jones films, two out of three of them, two out of three. That's all right. I said two out of three Indiana Jones films were, <laughs> were killing Nazis, and that's for a reason because they are easy to not like. Right. Now on nowadays and in 1995, the English are our allies. They've been our allies for a very long time, and so we need something to get behind. You know, to a reason that we're we don't like them. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's fine because there are evil psychopaths in the world that, you know, are primarily irredeemable. 
Um, right, you like know, Adolf Hitler, right, and, and Joseph Stalin, right, and but you'll you'll note that we made deals with Joseph Stalin in in World War Two, right, and to if fight it one, and if it weren't for Russia, we would probably not win World War Two. Uh, well, I guess it depends on how long it would have taken, and if we had to fight them too, right, and that. That would be a, a, a patent a, discussion. That would be a patent discussion, and I am totally up for a patent discussion. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time, so I would like I would like to play a lot of what ifs with the with the patent discussion. Sure, sure. Anyway, but uh, with the film, so we get uh, Malcolm Wallace uh, was a knight, and uh, well, really he appears to be a commoner in this, and of course there's so many anachronisms. I'm going to skip over some of that. Uh, which I'll probably come back to later. But, it, but you, but he's not. He's he's said to be a commoner in the film, right? In real life, he's a knight. But this makes it more like an underdog story, and it, it well to see William Wallace rise up from being a commoner. It, it, it plays to the audience that the you're like American audience, right? Because it, we all love a good underdog story. Well, not just that, and and it's also the idea of Americans. From our from the inception, we've never accepted the the idea of title. It, it, in our constitution, for our constitution forbids uh, titles. Right. So we don't do um, we don't do, and, and that's really referring to titles of nobility. We don't have knights, we don't have barons, we don't have earls or dukes or lords or lairds or anything like that. So the idea of our primary hero being a commoner automatically makes him far more relatable to an American audience and, and really Absolutely. to a modern audience because, you know, most, most, uh, most Brits are not our commoners as well. So, I mean, we're not, and we have no real desire to placate the nobility. Right. But anyway, so we have, uh, William Wallace's dad kind of goes and they see this, this horrible setup, um, from, Edward Longshanks, where he's hanged a bunch of Scottish nobles, and um, we get them go off to war. I'm trying to do a quick synopsis of the whole film. Absolutely. So we, uh, they go off to war, but both uh, Williams, William Wallace's dad and brother die in this, and then we have William... Uncle Argyle, Brian Cox. Right. Come in and take William away. So one of the things I want to like point out in this is like some hero hero's journey characteristics. So, and that's part of my thing as an English teacher. Um, so we have like, we don't really have an unusual circumstance of birth, although we, we're never really given anything about William Wallace's mother. Um, just, we know that she's not present. It's a very, it's. I think the only mention is when uncle Argyle says you, you look like you have the looks of your mother, right? And uh, so we don't have a lot of a lot of supernatural stuff here, but this does check the the uh, box of he leaves his family or land. So he does both. He goes off with his uncle Argyle to be educated and well, raised. A, a dream sequence, right, where he sees his father. I think this is a very important part where he uh, he sees his uncle. I mean, not his uncle. He sees his uh, father dead and he the corpse turns opens his eyes and looks at him and says your heart is free have the courage to follow it right and so this kind of goes into the title of the film you know braveheart being right. bring, following your heart being courageous um, right and um so you know we have he kind of goes off we know that he goes off with the uncle but of course we have this at the funeral of his father 
um, right before he, he basically leaves is this interaction with a young Murren who will, we know, later become his wife. When she comes back and he kind of courts her, and this is, it's wonderful acting. Um, the chemistry between Catherine McCormick and, and Mel Gibson is absolutely excellent. I, oh, I can't I can't geez. say enough about it. The the lines are clever. Like it's you just there's something you and there's not a lot of screen time that they actually have together. Yeah, we but you buy into it. In our rewatch, my wife was like, "Oh man, I forgot she's not in it for very long." Right, and so they marry in secret because, of course. We have Edward Longshanks, who's instituted this prima nocta. Right, prima nocta, which is it's really, it's, it's, it's absolutely positively anachronistic. Uh, if it ever even took yeah, place. Yeah, it's a huge rumor. There's, there, well, there's one place that I'm, I'm aware of it occurring in history, and that is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And that is like the one of the oldest written legend of anything we have in humanity it comes up and that is like the only place ever that i'm aware of it showing up where and and this is the time period where you have what you know like a temple temple prostitution basically where they send virgins to to these temples to you know be prostitutes for whatever some sort of religious right and you know and this is the and and so prima nocta was kind of like I, I think a predecessor to that. Um, so this never happened. This would not be allowed in a Christian country. And and Edward the first was considered to be a defender of the faith. Um, he he had gone on crusade already and had come back. Um, and he had actually done a lot. But when he when he first took rule, he had done a lot of like administrative things. And he was very I think he he was kind of very idealistic. And kind of a very attentive ruler until he kind of started focusing a lot on military stuff. But he would never have been, he would never have instituted this and the Pope would have excommunicated him had he done it. Right. But again, <clears throat> nothing makes us hate him and these English more than this awful Practice. Right, so we, we're at a wedding to, scene when e winning, e winning, easy to demonize them. Right, we get at the wedding scene when William Wallace comes back. He uh, meets his best friend Hamish again, which we, you know, we've seen oh, them as a kids. Wonder, wonderful scene. It's wonderful. They do the rock throwing thing, and um, like so, we get some endearing uh, reconnections with his childhood best friend, um, and it's kind of like right. almost like they they've never been apart and i you know i, I do identify with that because that's kind of how my childhood best friend and i are we don't always talk to each other um but it's kind of like when we do it's like hey you know yeah what no no time has passed and yeah we, we sometimes might still act like we're you know six eight twelve years old um but so we get that but we also see here that the the bride is taken away because okay so prima nocta if you don't recall is the the idea for the first night prima nocta that's like the latin term for it uh it, the lord or the king or whomever is the the uh administrator of that area the governor of that area can take any common bride to be in his bed for the first night of her marriage again this is anachronistic no this was just not done but but it, it is it does make for a good good Oh, villain it's, part when I'm so hated when 
Longshanks suggests this, and he goes, if we can't get them out, we'll breed them out. Right. And it, it, it is. It's just one of those things of absolute villainy. Yeah. Um, and so we get that. And then soon after, we, we of course, have and Wallace and Murrin are witness to this. And we, you know, we learn that they secretly get married because Wallace certainly won't share his wife. Um, and soon after they are wed, and you know, her parents don't know. They, they kind of, they set up a meeting and um, Murrin is, is assaulted by an English soldier. And then she fights back Um and this is this is one of those really brutal scenes, but she bites his cheek. Right. Well, she you know, she really fights back. She's got heart herself mm -hmm. um, and she is captured um, later trying to escape to meet William and she is taken to the English noble and her throat is slit. Well, William rescues her and he does. At first. At first. Yes. And then when they try to escape the town, they separate. He puts her on horseback and he thinks he saved her. She rides off and they, they actually capture her. I know. I know. I'm glossing but, over some but details. But he, he, he thinks he failed. I think that plays a big part in what he his response. Fair enough. Um, because we know that William doesn't want to be in this. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to, to take on the British soldiers. He wants to farm, raise a family. You know, he just wants a simple life. He's already traveled. We know that he's. We know that he's um, well educated. Um, we know that he can read, which is not actually normal, even for um, no nobles at this time. Um, so, like, she's she's kind of surprised when she learns that he can read, and then he kind of shows off. It, it's one of those really sweet scenes. Is like, well, what language do you want me to teach you? Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. know it's and it's just like oh well, now you're showing off. It's like yeah, I'm showing off. Is it working? You know, and it's but, like yeah, beautiful in every language, right? And um, which yeah, I mean it's that's one of the cutest scenes in the movie, I think. Right, and it's really endearing us to him and seeing that you know it's like we don't want we don't really root for somebody who just chooses to be violent for violence sake. Um, you know, there's actually something I've, I've heard and I don't know how accurate it is of um, there. It's like a Scottish proverb of, or something, you know, never teach a man to sword fight or never trust a swordsman who doesn't know how to dance. And the idea isn't about, you know, one, I, I kind of thought originally it was about footwork and it's not, it's about the joy. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to, you don't trust a man with a sword who you don't trust a man to fight who who wants to just kill indiscriminately. You don't trust a man who is just naturally violent. You want to trust a man who wants to preserve something, who wants to feel that joy. And this is, is a beautiful picture of it in that we know that William Wallace wants to preserve something and we know he wants to avenge something because on Murren's death, that's, 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 the, the, that's the turning point. That's and the that crux is, of the film. Right. And this is the invitation to adventure or the trauma where in, in the hero's journey, not only does his father and brother die, that's that's a side that gives him a hatred of of Edward Longshanks or distrust, at least. But yeah. he was a child. He doesn't have agency. But the death of Murrin, the death of his wife is the thing that is really the trauma 
that is the invitation to adventure. And so we will see that with his rebellion. Right. So Myrna is, is dead. And we have uh, William comes in and he kind of exacts his revenge so, on the the noble in the in the garrison. It's the uh, first real action set piece we get, and it is awesome. It's revenge fueled. You could tell he's just not a happy camper. Uh, yeah, and I kind of don't. I don't know. You know, you got the idea that like maybe he was coming to rescue her, but. He kind of already. He seems to already know that he's he failed. I think words have, have word has traveled to him because he right. goes up and he executes the the Lord in the same spot with in the, the same, same knife as uh, where Murrin was killed, right? Murdered. So, yeah, I mean, she was, she was executed on kind of under really specious charges of uh, being assaulting a king's soldier. You know, is the same as assault on the king, and it's like. Okay, well, you know, the whole idea of self-defense, it doesn't come up. And we, we see that as being an injustice. Um, and then, you know, other other Scots kind of join in the fray here. And then uh, they overthrow this, this garrison in their small little town. So the English are kind of overthrown here. And they chant McCulloch. And it turns into chants for Wallace. What is McCulloch? I believe that was... Um, Murren's clan name. Okay, so I think that's I, what I thought, and I just wasn't sure. Right? Yeah. I'm. I'm. That's. I always, as a kid, I did not really understand um, what they were chanting, but it, it is McCulloch, and I'm pretty sure that well, I had the subtitles on. It is McCulloch. Yeah, but that that's I think Murren's name. So they knew who that. They, they all knew who that what they were fighting for. Right. And I and wish then, we got more with the the parents, her parents in this film, because after basically at her funeral. William kneels down before them and bows his head and the father reluctantly, but then he reaches out and basically gives his blessing, which he didn't give his blessing before. And that's it. That's it for the parents. Right. I wish we would get more from them. Well, I mean, throughout his hero's journey, we could, we could have a a five hour long movie um, with, by adding all the things that probably could have been added to this film right and and you know what i would watch it if they made this film now they could totally make it into a trilogy and i wouldn't let peter jackson do it but i would, <laughs> not after the hobbit trilogy but i would i would let mel gibson make three films for me um about william wallace even though i kind of have a problem with all the history things but if, but he, if, if well, mel made, gibson didn't write the film though. that's true that's true um, he made he made a great uh, film given the, the material. So I'm, I'm not I have a love hate relationship with this because of some and and it's more love than hate I would say. But there are things that I just kind of go oh why because the history is good the history is good but it is complex and it It'll is make a better series. It's so complex like all the politics of it is are, are very complex. You have to explain too many characters and this makes more a better film. If you told the story, you know, exactly as history had it, well, one, the history is so muddled and it's told by, you know, it's recorded by the English and it's, this is almost like a fantastical retelling or an alternate history. I mean, they're messing, they mess up timelines. They mess up characters, you know, like Princess Isabella is supposed to be two years old when this is supposed to happen. The king dies way later after William Wallace is executed there's a lot of historical inaccuracies, but at the same time, this is not about 
that. This is not about a historical retelling. If you want that, go watch a documentary or read histo- history books. This is a legend. This is more like akin to Robin Hood or King and, Arthur. And it does have a lot of Robin Hood tones. And I don't always agree with you on the on the matters of history, but there I, I can hold back and try to enjoy it. So one of the problems is that I'm having to come back to this film. One, it was my favorite film from probably the majority of my life. I mean, this is the first live action movie I saw in theaters. I was five years old. Our parents did questionable things. But your mom did cover your eyes she for covered, the sex scenes. She covered my eyes for the sex scenes. But like, I mean, I still I rewatched it when dad got it on Laserdisc. But oh, that dates it too. But and I was I made sure to lie on the floor when we watched it so I could see the boobs. <laughs> oh gosh um so but yeah we were talking about kind of being a robin hood thing so you know there might be some historical um there's always historical you know bits to let's say the robin hood legends where you do have king john and it's in set you know during king richard's reign and then you know john is is kind of he was not really a well-beloved king and there's one reason why kings aren't named john anymore they don't name their sons john um because of how much despised his reign was um but you do get a lot of those overtones i think that um the, the robin hood overtones you know you have an outlaw um william wallace is an outlaw you have his band of merry men and and that kind of comes together more or less and hamish is totally a little john character absolutely he, he ain't little and honest honestly if you like think about blind harry's descriptions of um william wallace and i'm assuming you know who blind harry is but that's a lot of the source material he was kind of a, a scottish bard um and a lot of his source material was used for this film and it's not like historically relevant so much as it is propaganda and, yeah. and pro scottish and hate the english sort of thing yeah but and it, it's also written like a hundred years after wallace anyway but the idea of hamish probably brendan gleason as hamish ah. looks more like william wallace probably did three films two of them star brendan gleason at least as a, in a supporting role yeah i mean we gushed about him in our 28 days later uh discussion and he's so good in this too yeah and he's he's not like he's, he's not super likable oh he well i kind of think he generally is i don't really know a role where he's not but i mean he is and it's kind of funny it's like got all these uh all these well, first, people being scots and they're not all scots he's scottish isn't he he's irish is he i'm pretty sure i think he's scottish i think i looked that up and also brian cox who Mostly we see him in American films nowadays. Uncle Argyle, he's actually Scottish. I looked that up yeah, and I was and like, I would, oh, wow. Honestly, I'm disappointed that he didn't get to play a more uh, prominent role in some in some regard. But um, so anyway, we have, this is kind of like, the, this feels more Robin Hood-esque because he isn't kind of an outlaw now. We know that he's... Um, he is Irish, by the way. Yeah. Brennan, Brennan Gleeson. Gleeson. Yeah. And his son, Donald Gleeson. Oh, yeah, duh. We're going to have to get into to the new Star Wars films later. Yikes. Um, so anyway, we get this uh, rebellion growing under Wallace. And we know that Wall- Wallace is a, a, he's a reluctant hero. All right. So the rebellion's growing and we get their real first assault on a garrison 
or a, a a more organized assault on a garrison that's not just led by Wallace alone. Well, they, they, they come in disguise dressed right. as English soldiers, and we get the cool, like, I have dispatched 100 soldiers, and they will be returning now. And, of course, Mel Gibson's going, or they dress like this. It's more like 50. So here yeah, we, the so. husband gets his revenge for his murdered yeah. bride. The, the, well, not his murdered bride. This is the prima nocta one. So his bride oh, wasn't yes, murdered. Yes, so yes, his, his, absolutely. His claim, you know, he comes to claim the right of a husband. Yeah. And uh, really, you know, this is, the movie gets rated R based on violence alone. I mean, it's very brutal. Yeah, if you look, um, if you look at the ratings, it says for brutal medieval violence, it doesn't even mention the nudity. Yeah, well, the nudity is almost all silhouetted, you know, in you know, in in the dark. So it kind of like gets I mean, a you pass get a clear that. boob, but but it's, you also it's get the pretty... flashing butts and flashing penises too. Well, the penises are at least far away. You know, there's an argument for it, but yeah, there's a right where the in the Battle of Sterling where they're all mooning. Right. The English, which you know, who who doesn't want to moon their their adversaries in the battle? And we but get, we're jumping ahead. Uh, we get again. William's first speech that's very rousing, and we cut to the king informing the prince that the Scottish rebels have routed their garrison. And oh god, he's so despicable, right? And we haven't really talked about the prince yet. Oh um, right, who is like, rumored to lots? In truth, he's rumored to be homosexual. Um, you could. We could talk about that, but I don't really want to get into all that. Well, this this comes into to play. Well, it really comes into play historically later on, where you do have have uh, who later is Queen Isabella, um, right. and and the who who eventually actually supposedly murders her husband, which she insinuates she's going to do in the film, right? And and so that that's a little bit played up here, although like. She's a, she in reality is absolutely not taking part in these events as she's you know a child two years old, um, and then you know like at the beginning of these things. So, um, but that that does come into play later with the, with the scene um, with the the basically where King Edward murders um, the advisor the, the advisor who who is the who we are led to believe but not explicitly suggested is the lover of the prince. Um, I mean, a lot of people talk about how this has played up to be a comedic scene. I don't buy it. I, but he kills him because he's kind of like an upstart trying to give the king counsel when he has no place to give the king counsel. Well, also, I think that the, the other we'll thing talk about is, it later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that later. But so, I think that it goes to to say the king King Edward is evil. Right now, we get the English burning Scottish villages, chasing them down. That uh, it's a trap for the English, really, and Wallace's crew kills them all, uh, or capture, you know, does whatever. And uh, Robert the Bruce talks about how well, rebellion has really, begun. Right, this is where we're really introduced to Robert the Bruce. Yeah, um, but we don't really know anything about him, and I think part of the thing is we're, we're introduced to Robert the Bruce's dad, with who has leprosy in the film. I think right, and so this is actually based on the idea that that the Bruce's all had some sort of hereditary skin condition. Mm -hmm. And um, it was actually, it was something that plagued uh, Robert the Bruce as king um, for some time during his, during his reign. But we're, it was never like this full blown biblical type of leprosy where, you know, it's like things are rotting off and things like that. It was one of those things. It was probably more like very severe psoriasis. 
um, that kind of came and went, um, or, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, uh, what we, what we would call a chronic illness that was, you know, had periods of being more exacerbated than not and, and things like that it was, more, it didn't prevent him all the time from doing things, you know, like it, it wasn't this debilitating leprosy that we see in his father. So. Right. So Robert, the this is really like a less interesting and less engaging storyline for me, but this is where the seeds are planted that the dad does not want Robert the Bruce to uh, support Wallace's rebellion against the English. He wants to, Robert to side with the English to, so that more people can survive, right. uh, the Scottish people. But the, the, but this is like really the crux on what Randall Wallace, who is the writer of the film, that it inspired him to even write about this. Yeah, and I, which was like a... A rumor that right and i think see the thing is 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 robert the bruce portrayed in braveheart is so less interesting than robert the bruce portrayed in outlaw king and robert the bruce was an incredibly complex figure um you know there if you're of the the cummings clan you're you actually see robert the bruce as a bit of a villain uh maybe a, a huge villain um because he had a, a some part to play, whether um, wittingly or unwittingly, in the murder of John Comyn, who was another rival to the Scottish throne. John Comyn doesn't come in at all in this film, just like John Balliol doesn't. Well, Bailey, they talk about the Balliol clan vaguely. No, it's, it's a it's a big argument in one of the, po- uh, the political scenes. Is like, will you support the Balliol clan? And you, but you can't tell all of this stuff again. Like, if you give all the John Balliol stuff. And the Robert the Bruce stuff and the well, William Wallace stuff, you're going to end up with a five, six hour movie. I wouldn't complain. I but... wouldn't complain either, <laughs> but they would need an intermission or two. Oh, sure. But I, I think, though, that what, they, what they've done with Robert the Bruce is he is a bit, um, we, don't, we don't know enough about him. And we, but we know that he's like, people trust him, people love him. But we don't know why. So it's kind of like this, we're, we're supposed to take it as, as the audience granted that robert the bruce is this good guy that we love and, and we get it from we williams well we get it from williams mouth right so but, we're supposed to trust william we're supposed to trust Wall- william wallace in what he says about robert the bruce but we don't know why william wallace feels that way either but we don't need to right and but historic i don't know that i agree with that really but historically you know william wallace was actually fighting for john balliol um maybe not not at his behest but he was fighting to reinstate john balliol as king um and that that made the most sense he wasn't fighting for for robert the bruce um but i i understand the need to simplify the politics some and that that's fine um it doesn't make it a bad movie it just means that we get to talk about some of these other things but again we're we're introduced to the bruce and some of the complexities the problem i guess that i have with it is that we're so far removed from a feudal society where you owe fealty to your king if you own land and things like that right and we don't really understand the we don't have a real understanding of the complexities particularly as americans so a lot of them are just glossed over because we've never had a feudal society here although we uh culturally descend from 
uh, an Anglo, you know, society where they did. Right. So it's like, yeah, we understand having the concept of a king, but we don't really understand what that means to people who are of noble descent. Um, so, you know, it, it's this real difficult thing of going, well, why is the Bruce important? Like, well, he has a lot of land. He has a lot of support, like population that can support him. Um, but his whole story about, you know, the, fighting the, the wars of Scottish independence, you know, culminating with the Battle of Bannockburn at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. um, that's like a whole other movie in and of itself. And I think it's it's really, um, it, it, I, think, I think Outlaw King does a good job of kind of portraying that um, in some of the complexities. But like Robert the Bruce knew Edward the First. Um, he knew Edward II, who, you know, the prince in this film. So, like, he kind of grew up knowing, you know, Edward II, who, you know, in this film he's portrayed as, as very effeminate and... and uh, Unlikable. Well, stereotypically gay. Like, stereotypically, like, a flamboyant well, gay the, person. His, his princess calls him a weakling. Right. And and there's some... There's, some, there's certainly some evidence that he was homosexual, but... The idea that he was so ineffectual uh, in in matters of of war, I mean, he's he got he got bested, but he certainly led armies. Sure, um, and and like the as portrayed in this film, like you're going, I don't see it, but he's the one who leads the armies at the Battle of Bannockburn at the end, um, all to some extent or other, um, so. But we don't see that in the film. Anyway, we're getting we're getting off into the weeds and way ahead of ourselves. So we get uh, the princess and her handmaiden who speak of William Wallace and in a very they're romanticizing him. Sure. And uh, I think this will play more into the film later. Uh, we're back at the Scottish camp and they have a battle plan. Um, they're going to make spears, hundreds of them, twice as long as a man. And this is this is a big actually. This is a big deal because this is actually. They bring in this idea, which is the primary tactic for the Battle of Falkirk, yeah. which is the second main, the second big battle in the film. Right, and we get uh, a moment of humor from Brendan Gleeson and James Cosmo's characters, who play a father and son. Uh, some men are longer than others, and he says, "Your mother been telling you stories about me." <laughs> yeah, this movie has almost a little bit of everything: humor, romance, lots of violence. Uh, it is lots of good, hopeful themes. It as well. is a very, very good balanced epic um, in that regard, and and this is actually since they're they're preparing this, you know, in the the hero's journey, you have the the, the quote unquote the hero's special weapon. So you know, in Star Wars, it gets the lightsaber. Right here, yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of turned on its ear in Beowulf because none of the weapons actually work <laughs> um, for long. Anyway, they all break, um, and it's kind of like his bare hands, but. In this, I mean, yeah, Wallace has his sword, which we see, and it's, you know, this, like, kind of anachronistic two-handed huge, claymore. Huge sword. Um, which they more come into play later on in, in history, but... But it's an iconic weapon. Like, you would... You, oh, people you buy it. You people buy replicas of this and hang oh, it on their walls and... And have um, since 1995. Yeah. But so, this one is, is, is the spears. Yeah. The spears are the are the key to, the bat- to winning the Battle of Sterling and the key to... Defeating the cav the the un the quote unquote unbeatable, unbeatable English heavy cavalry. We'll talk about that more when we get to that battle. But here we get a new character, the Irishman, Stephen. Well, he's he is 
kind of our comic relief. And um, we kind of get we get a lot of things of these like the most wanted man on his island. And that can't yeah. be William Wallace. I'm prettier than he is. Right. So we just get this guy who is immediately likable and almost crazy like definitely crazy almost too likable and then we kind of he gives some good lines throughout the entire film oh absolutely well but we do he doesn't stay in this comedic state the whole time Mm -hmm. and so we get this this sense that you know he is there for comic relief to an extent but like he's not he's a believable character and it's it's really well done um he, he actually the, saves William Wallace in right, the scene because so, the he comes with another Stephen comes and you know joins the rebellion with another guy who tries to kill William Wallace while he's hunting and Stephen saves him and that's kind of how Stephen earns his his place at Wallace's side is yeah. being get your right hand man back right get, <laughs> get this whole whole idea well no Hamish is the right hand man okay left but, hand man back <laughs> so but uh. And then we get the idea of uh, we get the runners coming in to inform Wallace of um, that the English are advancing on Sterling and that Robert the Bruce and the other nobles are amassing armies. And of course, the nobles want to negotiate. And that's this has becomes a kind of a thing of you have to get your armies together so that you actually have some sort of hand at negotiating. And um, so we really we come to the Battle of Sterling. And this is the 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 moment of the. This is the most quoted, the most played scene, right? Right. Oh, oh, Wallace's speech beforehand. Yeah, and I mean, he. You could just hear the the common soldiers talking. You know that he is a legend already. Right, and and like there are very few. Like this is one of the most moving before battle speeches. You know, almost th- of all time. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, if you if you do this, you gotta you gotta have William Wallace, uh, as portrayed by Mel Gibson. You have to have King Theoden. Oh well, uh, you know, maybe you, this is a a draft for later. I, I think this this might be. Um, I think I think you could argue Patton's prayer, um, and uh, Aragorn. Uh, you know, there's so there's two in Return of the King for Frodo, right? that is not this day it's that one you right. know that but you have these and this is really the, i mean this is one of the earliest ones that i remember I, although you know you could argue Patton's prayer is 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 There's one or, or the first or the opening speech of Patton. but you have he's definitely got some legendary status and you know then we're, we're gonna have the battle of sterling and this is completely anachronistic and it's okay i didn't you know as a kid it's well, kind of like they, i think they planned on doing the battle of sterling bridge which was what actually happened it took place on a bridge but uh, he said the bridge got in the way mel gibson said the bridge got in the way so they didn't film it on the bridge the bridge got in the way yeah i don't and even that, know what that means well it's, it's harder to film about a swords you know a swords battle. I almost said swords and sandals, but you know, swords and kilts battle on a bridge. It makes right. it makes better for guns and such. But I think that well, was the entire point of right. William Wallace's strategy is that you have to funnel people through a bridge. Right. And and you you do. You use it as a natural bottleneck. And I think it was they led like a third of the men through and then they they attacked them, they ambushed them, and they come in and you know, then basically have do some undermining of the bridge to to do this you know 
the routing of the English army at Sterling, but the 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 film and and this is not just a problem with Braveheart, but it's a problem with a lot of films, including Lord of the Rings, which I love in all sorts of ways. But I'm also a, a student of historical European martial arts and a student of, of war. You know, the idea of this is how battles were fought. The, the basically run your men at the the other guys. You know, you charge two masses of of men at each other. Is really not how it was fought, um, and that that it, it's kind of it suspends it breaks my suspension of disbelief because of the things that I, I look at and, and study. But it, in general, it's not a problem for your average this viewer. Makes, this makes for a more epic feel. It's much more exciting because yeah. a lot of the things about about medieval warfare are less exciting, and they're certainly more drawn out. Um, and but but with the the Battle of Sterling Bridges as opposed to the way it's portrayed, um, with the Battle of Sterling in Braveheart, you know, it's certainly more exciting. It certainly happens a lot faster, um, rather than you know, because in some ways the Battle of Sterling Bridge is like it's literally like trying to sit in traffic, because you're trying to to slow the the advance of these men down. Um, it's like and, filming a siege. It's so boring. Right. Well, you know, sometimes it takes weeks for a siege to actually have any effect at all. Right. And so, you know, but the idea and the idea behind medieval fighting or in, particularly in, in Europe is like you you want to live. You don't just go throw yourself unarmored and, and at an enemy. Um, you know, you wear as much armor as you possibly can because you care more about living. And, um, you know, you don't. You try not to use things like swords because they don't do well against armor. You try to use like maces and hammers and um, and spears and and things like that, pole axes and you know things that'll cut through armor and keep the enemy further back. Right. Um, anyway, so we get the we get the uh, Hollywood version of the Shiltron, which is the the spears. Um, this kind of this hedgehog like thing, and it's kind of the Scottish version of the phalanx. Well. And we we get uh, William Wallace like sabotages the the treat the treaty between the uh, the Scottish nobles and the uh, English, and basically picks a fight. Right, he, he wants to fight here at the Battle of Stirling, and they do. Right, and that actually, you know, it's fine, and and I like that aspect of it. You know, this is the uh, cinematically, it's kind of like we're not going to. <laughs> we're not going to have our hero hem and haw and, and talk about the propensity to have peace. We know he's out for vengeance. Um, we know he believes that there is no, there is no honor in the English King. So we get, we get him to fight and they, they do. And they surprise them with the spears. And uh, this, I mean, this battle despite its historical inaccuracies it's kind of like even i as a as a history guy go kind of like well that's fine but it's wonderful oh it's um, uh, it, like i said it's epic and you don't we don't see a battle this epic i think until you get battle of the bastards in game of thrones which is another discussion in and of itself but have you have you seen the king I, I, did you just like throw out like all of return of the king 
I'm I'm saying Braveheart. Well, okay, no. but there, there's this is Return of the King is different. It's it's straight up fantasy, and Game of Thrones isn't <laughs> right. I guess, but I was gonna For throw men I'm gonna throw out Netflix's uh, original The King, which has another sweet battle at the end of it. It's very it's very reminiscent of both of both of those things. Return of the King is you're not getting men killing men. You're well, I guess you are with the Easterlings, but. You're getting orcs orcs versus horsemen for the most part. Okay, well, I I, I just think it it shouldn't be discluded. Well, but I mean, I think the Two Towers is better than Return of the King. The Battle of Helm's Deep is better than the Battle of Pelennor Fields. I it's it's the the when the cavalry comes that that the Rohirrim arrive. I think that's the best. But you know, um. That's just one of my favorite moments in, in film, just period. But so we, we get this this Hollywood version of the Shiltrum, which is the the spears and all this. And this is one of the places where um, their use of these mechanical horses comes into play. And that was like kind of a big deal for uh, animal rights groups. They kind of really thought that that uh, Mel Gibson and and the, their crew had been really kind of taking liberties with. Uh, trained horses and putting them to some some abuse and really um you know there's a number of scenes here where they use these mechanical horses and like uh it's it's really really quite good and it's it's one of those things that you you look at and you go practical effects are better than cgi cgi yeah but that's that's uh, i think that's another fault of some of Lord of the Rings is a lot of it is CGI. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, but this is this is well done. Uh, you know, it, it definitely fooled a lot of people uh, into thinking they were hurting animals. Um, and so we get uh, they, they're victorious. They William Wallace has convinced the nobles to to fight. Um, and they kind of the the nobles uh, and their light cavalry kind of do do this flanking maneuver on the English archers and and the rest of of the soldiers and basically send route them since they've taken care of the heavy cavalry um, with their their spears and we go into this idea of William is um, you know he's he's knighted and they kind of make him a, a a protector of of scotland which is some, something that they did do now the nobles here uh, as presented are not actual uh historical figures they kind of use generic figures um to i think in part to limit the number of actual nobles they had to deal with um you know there's lachlan and mornay and uh the other guy who i, I really can't think of but they and they talk about some of these other ones um but like they kind of talk about William's politics. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, and this is where you were talking about, you know, says no, you know, but the Balliols will kiss his ass. So we must, we must. Right. Um, so this is, there's, there's a little bit of a nod to it, but like, unless you like studied the history, you have no idea who the Balliols are. Right. Um, and they, that wasn't even mentioned. You but know, they, they the kind thing. of get in an argument and they're basically saying like, you need to support the Balliol clan. Like, and they're like talking about how he's the 
the Baliels are the rightful kings, and they're saying, well, no, it was a lie when you wrote that, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, here's here's the point. But it's is, all almost like background to William Wallace walking out of the right. politics. Well, he walks out of it, and that's the point, is is the, the idea is politics don't matter. Well, he also doesn't agree with them. He says, you know, you're... Uh, your position is to provide these people with freedom, and I will make sure they have it. Right, and there's and there's some idea that you know they, they talked about this, you know, people talk about whether this is anachronistic or not, and you know, kind of hearkening to the, like the John Locke and and the you know the consent of the governed sort of thing, and it's fine because you know plenty of people will start rebellions for that, but really what we know about William Wallace is he was fighting for John Balliol as king, who was had been deposed and and forced by Edward the first to abdicate. But anyway, we get this scene with, uh, with William and, and Robert, the Bruce one-on-one one-on-one as, as Williams left and kind of said, screw this whole politics thing. Um, I don't care. I don't care about your feudal business. I don't care about your, your nobility or whatever, but he, he turns to Robert, the Bruce and it's like, well, no, you could be King. And like, if, if you could, you could unite the, and so like but, but we he, still don't just, know why the brute well we don't have any real idea of why william feels this way about robert right and this is i think plays more robert the bruce's reluctant hero versus william wallace's more blatant heroism um but i talked about that earlier right all right well we get william advancing on another english garrison we get this is well no this is york this is a this is in England because he says he's he tells the politicians, the nobles of Scotland, that he's going to invade England. I see that. Yes, sack so, to York. I made a note of that, and uh, we hit a very pompous king's nephew who you just hate by association and by the way he looks. So it's easy to, to for him to be the villain in this scene, right? And of course, this didn't actually happen. There were some minor incursions into England, but you never know, sacked York. No, York was the major. I think the major stronghold in Northern England. Right. Um, and, and so Wallace didn't actually uh, but attack or even sat and certainly not sacked it, but um, we get a big moment where of Wallace's heroism that re- have his men really rally around him. Another reason to have like taken over the battering ram that had been hot oiled and burned. Right. So I think this is a big moment of triumph for him, for his people to see him. Well, and, it, and, and what it does is it really raises the stakes and gives him some sort of, uh, demonstration that he he feels untouchable right now he can do these things that other uh other scottish nobles other scottish heroes uh freedom fighters if you will they can't do um and so we and this is kind of actually talk goes to the the hero's journey point of, of the receive receipt of supernatural help um and and you know it's not explicit in that, you know, he's receiving supernatural help, but we do see, you know, this, the, the sacking of York does make him feel untouchable. Although it kind of just kind of evaporates because they never talk about retaking York and they never talk about what happens afterward. But we do cut later. Um, Cause we, we get the, uh, the receipt of the, of the, the king's nephew's head in a basket mm-hmm. um and, this, and is, this is this is the scene with the murder of of the the advisor uh, yeah the advisor who is the the lover of the the prince supposed lover yeah right well it's it's strongly strongly implied and and i think there's no real question 
of that. Um, but he got, kind of goes like, who are you to advise me? Who is speaking to me? As though I were in any need of his advice. Right. And, and I mean, the thing is, is this really just, I mean, really plays to the villainy, even, even in 1995. Yeah. Um, because we look at it now and we're like, oh, okay, so the, the gay guy is just killed and that's not cool. But who is he killed by? He's killed by the villain. Right. And um, but also... The, the prince tries to murder the king right there. Right. And, you know, he's quickly sidestepped and cast aside, you know, the king. But this is where we the, get the first evidence that maybe the king is sick. Right. He, he gets that little cough. Right. And But he plans to send someone to treat with Wallace, but he can't go himself if he were to be killed, blah, blah, blah. So we get a dream sequence with Murrin. And I think this though is one of those things that, that really is where we get the supernatural help element. Yeah. Um, because there's not a lot of supernatural that happens in this film at all. Um, except for William keeps having these dreams, uh, where the dead talk to him. And yeah. he's had this since he was a child and it really, it really motivates him. And I think this is, you know, th he's called and this is, He's called by the, the child at the beginning. Um, he's called, he's, he's told by his father that his heart is free. He, and then Mar we, we have Murrin um, who appears and, and saying, you know, I, you must wake. <laughs> I don't want to wake. I want to stay here with you. Um, but when he does wake up, uh, Hamish, I believe, lets him know that banners of truce and banners of Longshanks himself are coming. And he has sent the princess of Wales uh, Princess Isabella, right? Who at the actual she's two years old when this takes yeah, place. Yeah, at least at the beginning of the film, you know, she the the film takes place over the period of years, obviously. But right, um, I mean, what epic wouldn't? But the you know we get someone that we've already seen romanticizing Wallace's um, exploits, um, and then we get this really cool scene where where. Cause we've forgotten that Wallace is educated and they kind of, they talk in Latin and he, he, he speaks back to him in Latin. He, and and you're he's like, like, I know Latin, but yes, I'm a savage. Also, I can speak French and he speaks to them in French. Right. And, and you know, it's like, en français, if you, you know, if you please, it's like, it's like, okay. Uh, you know, but he, but he says he's not a liar. Right. So the princess sends everybody out after, and uh, she tells him, you know, I know about your woman and you could tell she hurts for him. And he uh, explains to her what actually happened. Right. And, and she's, she hurts for him like even more. And I don't, the thing is, is that the, the romance between these two is not something I, I really like, but what, what I do like about it is that it gives princess Isabella gives him an opening to talk about Murren and to be vulnerable in a way that, hanging with his quote-unquote merry men doesn't right. really give him an opportunity to do. And also it inspires her. He inspires her. And right. And one day you'll be queen and you must open your eyes. Well, he refused the king's terms uh, and says, tell your king that William Wallace will not be ruled and neither will any Scott while I live. Right. So, and... and um, But, yeah, well, we'll talk more about their relationship later um, as it progresses. Um, now we cut back to the king where he reveals that the princess was just a ruse. He's so evil. Like he was 
totally would have risked her life. Right. The the ruse is, of course, he's been he's been assembling an army to go and attack the sky. I dispatched them when I dispatched your wife. Right. So, you know, in in this is one of the things about that makes medieval movies so difficult on a historical level is that it takes so much time for anything to actually happen. You know, uh, you know, and they and they kind of hint at some of that there. It's like. Well, you know, you can't just send out armies because nobody really had standing armies back then. Right. At least, at least not in Europe. So this is um, also where we get more evidence with his little cough um, that the king is unwell. Um, but the princess sends her handmaiden to warn William Wallace of the uh, attack on Scotland. Right. And uh, it's an army comprised of Irish. Irish mercenaries, Welsh, 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 Welsh mercenaries, bowmen, Welsh bowmen, right? Is what well, they call them. mercenaries, right? And well, um, probably conscripts, honestly. And they're like, "Oh, the Irish! The Irish are fighting with them. Why the Irish?" And he goes, "I wouldn't worry, Stephen. I wouldn't worry about the Irish. I told you, it's my island, your island, my island, right?" And that it's it's a big ridiculous smile, right? And it's this is some comic relief, especially in this very dark um period where you're like okay well like you know there's a lot of back and forth there's never this feeling that um you know the the heroes aren't in any good state like you go okay well they won they won the battle of sterling and then it's like you have a lot of up and down with this film yeah it's like okay well edward longshanks is he this was a ruse like you know in, in the whole idea of buying william off we were never really concerned with that but we kind of go, oh, he had a plan the whole time. He doesn't really want peace. He doesn't really want to buy William off. He just wants to lure him in enough to get him. Right. Um, and now we get more politics with William. He wants the nobles to call call to arms, basically. Everyone to fight. And they to basically turn him down. He calls them all cowards. And, and this was a real challenge in medieval times particularly in scotland yeah. where you have a lot of disunity and and you know you have in the highlands you had clannishness but in the, the lowlands you had the same kind of thing and this was always a problem right with you know getting people behind you enough to fight and particularly in scotland where there is no like there's no effectual king mm-hmm. there's no effectual leader so you know it's like well i'm not sending my men to fight for you right um i don't owe you fealty i don't owe you anything um and so it really it's problem it's a problem nationalistically because it's like we didn't see they didn't see themselves as a nation um and and that's kind of one reason why this has got some kind of american bent to it and honestly it's kind of like when you watch the patriot you you go oh well this is like braveheart in america except you know like it makes a little more sense in some ways we might need to do just a a a separate podcast for his other two war epics, uh, We Were Soldiers and the other one, uh, oh, the, the Patriot. Patriot. Um, so now we get another one-on-one with Robert the Broods and William Wallace. He, this is where he says, there's strength in you. I see it. Unite us. Unite the clans. Yeah. Um, but now it, Bruce and his father, they obviously have a strange relationship. And he wants them to portray William and... Robert the Bruce doesn't want to because he gave him his word. And now we're at the Battle of Falkirk. Right. And this is one 
the Battle of Falkirk is actually one where definitely an ancestor of ours uh, fought uh, William de Mungal, um, or Mungale, depending on uh, your pronunciation and how you look at the spelling, but actually did fight in this war um, or in this battle wow. under, under Wallace. I did not know that. No, um, you did. So now he sends the, the king sends the Irish in first, the Irish infantrymen. Uh, this is arrows cost arrows cost money and the Irish cost nothing is the words of the king and God you just you yeah, hate him so much it's the dead cost nothing but this is actually really playing into how that the English but he doesn't treated the Irish like this he is, also <laughs> doesn't he has no regard for human life in this scene no and and I think that's one of the it's part of it to me is a bit of a problem with with the portrayal of Edward the first because I don't he was not as far as I've seen in history and as, and this is growing up with this movie being my primary introduction to Edward the first, right? It, he, he was not a psychopath. Right. But we also, um, they get some battle prep where they're pouring the oil. Oh yeah. The, or the Scot- pitch or whatever. The Scottish, was. the Scottish were prepared because of the princess Isabella's warning. And uh, the two starts charging each other. The music builds score. Amazing. And they stop. They stop and greet each other. And Stephen's like, "Yo, how are you doing?" And it's yeah. it's a big, it's a funny scene, right? So the the Scots and the Irish, and this is really that pan Celticism kind of moment where right. the Scot, the Scots and the Irish, you know, they they're gonna fight the English together. And I mean, it's it's this didn't happen. The the whole Battle of Falkirk is is not portrayed how it actually would have happened. Again, this is one of those things of done up know, for an epic. Right. Well, and you want to make it, it different than the Battle of Sterling, right? You not only want to make it different for the Battle of Sterling, where they've got the they they light the fire with the fire arrows or the pitch, whatever they've laid out with the fires to to kind of take care of the the British heavy the English heavy cavalry. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 the, it's kind of one of those things of like, well, okay, but this is actually the battle where they used the all spears. the the Shiltron uh, formations, where they basically had guys with spears on all sides. Um, which kind of like a giant phalanx sort of thing from ancient Greece. Right. And then um, uh, notably, uh, the Bruce hasn't showed up. Robert the Bruce has not come right. to and the that, battle. And that's the the kind of the, the plot we, point. We see this. the nobles off to the side. And we have the man of mystery on the British side, who's the only man in a period correct helmet. Right. Uh, like, well, I'm, I'm not, I take that back. Really, any the only knight or noble in a period correct helmet they would have been wearing like these bucket helmets with facial coverings and uh, of course it's horrible for hollywood because you can't see these uh, actors faces and they can't really you know do right. the acting they need to do but but we we know. want this person shrouded in their mystery right for, <laughs> late, for the dramatic reveal later right but, so the epic battle ensues um they burn the horde the cavalry the english cavalry with the flaming arrows because mm-hmm. that's a trap they have set with the oil which we know from earlier and uh william signals the banner for the nobles and all of their men to ride in on their horses to kind of turn the tide of the battle but they reject they they just they flee from from I the think field they just do they? they turn? They turn from the field and 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 basically flee. And we get the reveal: Withdraw. the king has bribed Mornay and Lachlan and asks for the archers. And his his right hand man kind of goes, "Pardon me, sire. Won't we hit our own troops? We have more men in reserves, and uh, 
we see lots of noticeable faces fall here. Right. Um, There's basically all the all of Wallace's his faces. merry band. Yeah, his merry band falls except for Stephen and Hamish. Well, and the dad. Well, the dad is mortally wounded. Every yeah. But, well, I mean, it may not happen immediately, but it, he's he's gonna die. Yeah. Um, and oh god, it's, so it's we, a rough scene because you see all this in in kind of rapid succession, and you feel this this horrible sinking feeling. Yeah. And this Longshanks' is, disregard for human life, even his own men. Yeah. But the the thing though that you really get out of this is is the complete and utter loss. Yeah. Because you you're wondering who's next, and I think I think the last one is when uh, James Cosmo as as Hamish's father takes that axe to the belly. Yeah. You're like, oh, we also, is anyone is anyone safe? Yeah. The guy the guy from earlier the the husband who mm-hmm. gets his revenge. I don't know the name, but. Uh... I think he's another Irish actor, though. But I think he's in. I also think he's in Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, cut back to the king. He says, "Bring me Wallace alive, if possible. Dead, just as good." Right. And 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 he's, and he's got the villain. And then and then he's gonna. Withdraw. He takes an arrow. William takes an arrow, uh, which I mean, a bunch of people have been. Yeah. Um, William English sees the and, king and withdraw and with the shrouded and mystery masked knight. They're riding away. Uh, Willis kind of hijacks a horse and chases him. And yep. yeah, this is where he's the big reveal is, you know, there's a big horse, a nice horse. They, they do the jowl. The They're joust. like, like uh, he comes. Wallace with... loses because he doesn't have a lance. Right. He's but coming he with, a, shows with his a, bravery. To, right. And it just, but he, the shrouded knight, I guess, because we haven't discussed the reveal. He takes his horse. Yeah, um, he doesn't is, doesn't go for Wallace himself. Right. Which okay, good. And honestly, it's one of the only aspects of this whole battle that's probably true to medieval form. Is like they, they would really, you know, the how they jousted with the horse. Whew. Yeah, you know. So uh, Wallace falls and you know feigns death. The guy is the shrouded, the mystery knight dismounts it, and. Wallace kind of throws him off and rips his mask off, and it's Robert the Bruce. He has betrayed Wallace just like Mornay and Lachlan, and uh, he can't believe it. He he's he doesn't want to continue to fight him. He's just so upset. And in rides Stephen, and uh, they say together, Stephen and Robert the Bruce actually save William Wallace from from the oncoming English troops. Right. And, and this is one of, this is the, the scene here that I, I think bothers me a little bit about Robert the Bruce and how he's treated in the film, because we have seen nothing heroic from him. We've yeah. seen, he, he seems to be fairly ineffectual and lets things happen to him rather than doing anything. And granted at this point in, in history, he's done very little um but the, the, this know, isn't his story but in some ways it is because yeah. because because of begins, where we end well because of where we begin too. who's the who's narrating yeah robert the bruce begins as the narrator and robert the bruce ends as the narrator yes and so just like in like panther where we have in part it's killmonger's story too 
Um, but, we also yeah. have we also have this being Robert the Bruce's story because he we do know that he becomes the king. It's almost like Robert the Bruce's origin story. In some in some form or fashion, I guess. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's, not... it's like he is inspired by William Wallace's blatant heroism, and he's no longer he is no longer the reluctant king. He is the the true hero, and that's fine. And I I, I see that as being okay. I just I kind of want more to work with with yeah. Robert the Bruce. I feel like that's that's one of the only fault. This one of the only problems with the film, as far as characterization is concerned, um, as far for our heroes, because Robert the Bruce is not seen like we don't see any of what William sees in him. We yeah. don't see any of his heroism. Um, we see him as you know being reluctant is one thing, but he he continues being this reluctant. To the point of, well, why does anybody believe in you, dude? Yeah. Um, you know, and and so that with the, you know, there's no there's no redeeming qualities with Edward the First, like to even remotely see why anybody is loyal to him. Yeah. Um, you know that that is the only that's the only real problem character wise that I, I I feel like I see with this film. I I I'll tend to agree with that as you know we grew up after this film, I guess, to learn about Robert the Bruce your, your dad, our dad is very into that, the history. And he's kind of instilled that in us, but he is a Scottish hero. And he, a lot of, when this film came out, a lot of Scotsmen were kind of upset with his betrayal. And that just goes to show you that, you know, at the, I'm not sure. I don't remember where the statues are in Scotland of Robert the Bruce and, and William Sterling and Sterling. Mm -hmm. They're right next to each other. They are both equal. Like in everyone's eyes, they're the Scottish heroes. Oh. And they are equals. There's a very large statue. I've, um, I've got uh, our dad with a, 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 like, there's a photo of him in front of it. The, he, Robert the Bruce mounted on a horse at Sterling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, it's the idea. And, and, you know, if you talk about who's Scotland's national hero, they actually say Robert Burns, who was a poet. Um, yeah, which is, I mean, we don't kinda, have, in, but, in America, but Robert the Bruce is, and, and William Wallace are both like two and three, depending on who you talk to. Right. And we, in America for us, you know, the Scottish heritage organizations around America, we don't have William Wallace day or Robert the Bruce day. No, there is, there is a Bruce. There but, is, well, we Bruce mainly, dinners, maybe. we, we mainly celebrate Burns night, you know, the mm -hmm. Robert Burns celebration for sure well this seems like a good stopping point for part one of our braveheart discussion next week we'll pick right back up with this epic film don't miss out on part two of braveheart all right well this has been the cine siblings podcast i'm ian i'm james until next time go watch a new movie or catch an old one peace Thanks for listening to the Cine Siblings Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cine Siblings Pod.